Hi, everyone, and welcome to Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my second fiction story, Abundance, Not Scarcity. If you'd like to get a paperback copy of the book, or if you'd like a free copy of this story as an ebook optimized for iPhone or iPad, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. There's links there to all my writing, including the link to the paperback order form, as well as a link to the Google Drive folder with free ebook versions of both of my fiction stories. My previous story, What There Is To Be Done, is also available in this podcast feed. Just hop back to season one. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about these stories. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan or email me at dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy this chapter and stick around at the end for a bonus reflection. May we all identify and come to understand God's ongoing invitations for us. Cheers. The lights were on. The red candle flickered. The pews were empty. The doors were unlocked. Noah yanked open the heavy outer door of St. Lucy Church and stepped into the vestibule. The flyers on the walls, the materials on the tables, the unusual shade of red in the dated carpet, it was all familiar. Noah sought out that familiarity for today. The spurts of mild fall weather were waning, giving way to the coming bite in the chilly air of Midwestern winter. But this day in November offered some sunshine and a fleeting yet still present warmth in the air. Noah entered the church wearing slacks and a polo, business casual clothes for work without the building outerwear layers he'd need in the coming months. He'd met with Father C. once a month for four months now, plus that first conversation. Tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, would be his sixth time seeing his old form master. Last month, after another positive and insightful conversation, Father C. offered Noah a fresh challenge. When one thinks about his state of life, there's a difference between an openness and a desire, right? Father C. asked Noah. Just because one thinks he has the capacity for something, it doesn't mean he will ever follow through with seeking it, with becoming it. In order to go that route, there has to be something pushing him or drawing him to pursue it. I think, generally, plenty of faithful young men imagine some capacity for religious life or priesthood, as well as for marriage and family life. And that's good and healthy. But at some point, when a man discerns marriage or discerns religious life or priesthood, I hope it always comes from a place of being drawn, Father C. had explained. Noah didn't disagree and wondered what the payoff was. I think you're at a point in your life, in your prayer, in your discernment, where you can see the capacity you have for both states of life. Maybe not with total clarity or certainty, but with definite vision and you've been receptive to shifting from not dating to being intentionally celibate in your chastity, Father C. continued. 
Noah hadn't realized the difference until his vocation director pointed it out, and Noah agreed to adopt this mindset, at least for a few months. He felt no desire to get back into dating right now, and was enjoying the balance between his friends, including Joan, his family, his work, and his prayer. I'm wondering if now is the time to consider applying to the novitiate, Father C. suggested. Noah knew this could come up if he kept visiting Father C., and indeed, he kept visiting Father C., and so here it came up. It's non-binding, of course, Father C. continued. You're not professing lifelong vows or anything, but it is a way for you to more seriously explore this life, and a way for us as a monastery to get to know you and share our community life with you as well. And I'll tell you honestly, I don't suggest application to young men who stand no chance of consideration, Father C. plainly stated. Noah had sat on this invitation for several weeks. In the time since he and Joan broke up, and particularly as he began his visits with Father C., Noah found his more vivid, immersive prayer experiences had petered off. And he was okay with that. The forthright, open conversations were the seeming new manifestations of the grace of clarity. He even felt like this was a steadier, more sustainable way to discern and live rather than wondering what immersive prayer experience might unfold and when and how. Yet something about the gravity of this new invitation spurred Noah to seek out a more intentional setting for more intentional prayer. And so he found himself, with two dress shoes on his feet, standing on the musty vestibule carpet of his parish church, staring through the glass windows of the doors from the anteroom into the nave. Noah stepped up to the doors and gently pulled one open. He walked just a few steps in, only far enough to let the door swing shut behind him. The setting sun of a November afternoon lit half the stained glass windows, including his favorite St. Lucy, to whom he gave his trademark eyeball salute. He remained there at the rear of the church and scanned the space. There was no one else there at the moment. The altar was bare, save for its plain white cloth, the tabernacle was shut with keys stored, but the red candle abiding. Noah was essentially alone with the Lord. He remembered a teacher telling a group he was in that any prayer in a church can be Eucharistic adoration as long as the tabernacle is reserving the blessed sacrament. Noah had internalized this from years ago, but usually downplayed it. He liked the specialness, the profundity, the visuals, the exposition of the blessed sacrament the Lord exposed in the oversized host and the monstrance, vaulted upward by the altar, magnified by the sheen of the precious metals, and handled with care by reverent motions from carefully trained hands. And he loved the distinct feel of entering the church and taking one's place before this extraordinary but quiet piety. On this day, something about the simplicity was just right. He acknowledged the presence of Christ in the tabernacle, touching his knee to the ground in the church aisle as he bowed. He took his seat in the second-to-last row. Noah simply sat with his butt on the wooden pew, leaving the kneeler up. He just wanted to sit with God. Between talking to Joan, Father C., and his close friends, as well as from the other bits of sharing with others, Noah had distilled the core of his prayer down to some key cornerstones. This is where he found himself starting on this day. God, thank you for the grace of clarity. Thank you for asking me what I was doing, for asking me what I wanted you to do for me, for giving me what I asked for. It may be the first and only moment in my life where I truly felt I was living out thy will be done. 
You showed me the impact of identifying loving, compassionate guides in my life and humbly following their lead, responding to their invitations with action. It's humbly responding and serving that is fueling me today, even when it's scattershot or foolish or not completely fleshed out, and perhaps even more so then. Noah paused. He felt the tension of talking God's ear off with things God already knew versus simply sitting in the presence of a God who already knows all that is within you. In this case, Noah selfishly took advantage of God's listening ear and used the opportunity to think out loud. He wanted to try talking his way to fuller understanding and better articulation, even if he was discussing things that God already had a firm handle on. If my joy and peace come from following such invitations with humble action, why wouldn't I take Father C's application to the monastery and try out the novitiate? Well, I don't want to discern from a why not foundation. I want to find my positive, my yes. Also, I need to see that I have more than just a capacity for religious life and find what might be drawing me into it. And right now, God, I don't know that anything is, but Father C has suggested it might be that everything is. Noah broke off his stream of prayerful consciousness to laugh. It was sort of a preposterous assertion, but he hadn't found cause to disagree with it. The complacency of punching the clock at a job in a career he didn't like and sleepwalking through an underestimated romantic relationship helped set the table for a bit of an awakening for Noah. And if that trajectory arced also to a re-encounter with the Cistercians, to find mentorship and accompaniment in two old monks, then maybe it was all swirling together to bring him to the threshold of religious life. I think what I need to see is a more active and lively pull, a draw, a magnetism to the Cistercian life. I think I haven't made the leap from feeling like it's something I could try to thinking it's something I should try. Am I missing something? Am I avoiding something? I'm seeing Father C again tomorrow, but that shouldn't be the whole process, I don't think. Noah halted again. He had talked his way to the crux of the problem. He didn't need to answer Father C tomorrow. This was the right time of year to get an application started that could be approved in time for starting a novitiate in the upcoming summer. Sure. But Father C had even said himself, Noah had no deadlines or timeframes to meet. So Noah was sitting in church this afternoon seeing if some clarity emerged, or if he'd refuel in flight and keep circling this runway. At this point, Noah felt he could hush. God had indulged him in a good bit of rambling, and Noah had worked his way from his gratitude to his petition. Noah quieted down. He stopped his internal monologue. He relaxed his body. But he kept his eyes open and he settled on the sight line, over the altar, and on the tabernacle, to the Christ who dwelled with him always. The gleaming gold of the tabernacle reflected the red cup that rested around the flickering flame. To Noah, the dance of that small flame in the metallic shine of the tabernacle was a simple reminder of something profoundly beautiful. From this great distance at the back of the church, the image came to mind of the Abbey Church in Kentucky. His vantage points there in the guest section on the stony ground floor and in the gallery section lofted above that, put him at a similar distance in sightline. Those mornings and evenings in the Trappist Chapel put him in a place of easy focus and simple prayer. That combo had been the context for profound experiences. The cornerstone of those first profound experiences struck him again this day, the abiding presence of Christ, signified by the flame of a simple red candle. Noah thought next of that first evening, that first meditation, that first experience. His meditative immersion in the forest wilderness had been so palpable. The voice in his ear felt real. Then Noah laughed to himself. 
God, you asked me, what are you doing here? So clearly and plainly. And I never answered you, Noah thought. I guess an answer wasn't the most important thing. But now I know. I'm here trying to see you, trying to listen to you, and doing a better job of seeing where you've been moving in my life all along. Noah felt like his life had become his answer, but it still felt good to speak it to God. He thought next of the haze that took him from the encounter of that meditation through to the experience he found in the next morning's prayer. The invitation from Father Ambrose, the stark abbey chapel, the pews in the back, the quiet hallway, the simple dormitory room, the tiny but cozy bed. All of it laid the path for me to find and encounter God. And all of it was Cistercian, monks inviting people, monks inviting me to come and pray with them in simple but great hospitality. Noah went back to quiet again, trying to sit in wordless contemplation of the many experiences he'd been offered in this prayer. The joys, the confusions, the angers, the dead ends, the potentials, the dissonances. It had all flown from that first Cistercian retreat and been put back on the tracks after almost derailing by the charitable hand of a Cistercian. On the one hand, Noah was starting to feel it was sort of obvious indeed. He didn't want to be like the people on the road to Emmaus, people who were so thrown off by the profound events of the passion and resurrection that they couldn't understand when the risen Lord was right before them. But then he remembered how their clarity arrived. They saw Christ clearly in the breaking of the bread. Noah's open eyes were lined up, still, with the distant tabernacle, with the flickering red flame, with Christ who dwelled in that same bread broken once again. Here is Christ, who's been with me all along, from birth and baptism, to retreat and realizations, through joyful highs and confusing lows, through prayer and solitude and conversation and dialogue. Maybe it's time to try indeed. Noah sat right there, with that, with him, for a good while. The church remained empty, except for them. A little while later, Noah gave the tops of his thighs a solid Midwestern pat with his palms, signaling to no one that it was time to head out. He stepped out to the end of the pew, touched his knee to the floor, and held there in his genuflection for a moment. He picked his head up from looking down in reverence and cast his eyes on the tabernacle yet one more time. At the table, after walking the road to Emmaus, Jesus vanishes just as the disciples recognize him. This afternoon, Noah and Jesus together abided. Do I handwrite it? That would be the most personal. But what if I keep making mistakes and make a mess? Or what if it takes forever? But isn't that kind of the point? Hmm. If I type it out, then I can edit it as I go and clean it up more easily. And I could probably do it faster. But should I do it quickly? Noah was having a full-fledged debate with himself. He was sitting at the coffee table in his apartment, butt on the couch, laptop on the tabletop, papers piled beside the keyboard. He went mentally silent for a moment as he sized up the task in front of him, assembling his application for the Cistercian novitiate. This current step was writing a spiritual autobiography, a 10 to 15 page document, if typed, in which an applicant summarizes their life from early childhood through teenage years and into adulthood. The prompt was to include academic experience, social life and relationships, sacraments and faith life milestones, and also romantic history, among other things. All of this was meant to set the table for the current junction, where the applicant could describe how they decided to apply for formation or religious life. Noah had already completed all the knucklehead stuff. He had requested appointments with his primary care physician, dentist, and eye doctor to get checked up according to the special forms. He had made a list of people to talk about this decision, 
some of whom he'd then ask for letters of reference. And after completing all the data entry portions of the forms, he was now sitting before this autobiographical prompt. In his mind, he had conceived of the outline of it fairly easily. A loving faith-filled home with present attentive parents, positive experiences at Catholic schools in Cistercian Academy and DePaul University, richness in volunteering in Southern Texas, and reigniting sparks this past year. He even felt he had a good grasp of his past relationship with Joan. With a few months' perspective, he could see how he had semi-unconsciously kept her at arm's length, unfairly positioning her in a spot that was safe for social fun, but that ignored the potential of getting to know her better and being more vulnerable to let her in more. And he could see his larger complex of life inertia and the oddly surprising way he had sunk into wide malaise. Over the last few months, Noah and Joan had met up for coffee several times and struck up a platonic friendship that was, frankly, richer than much of the romantic relationship Noah had poorly maintained. Noah had told her he decided to apply to the novitiate, and after explaining a bit of what that actually meant and how it was sort of an early trial period, Joan was effusive with affirmation. Noah added that he'd only be allowed limited periodic contact with family and friends during the year, and Joan was actually a bit bummed to think they wouldn't be able to continue their new routine. Noah thought this mild tension was a sign of the progress they'd made in becoming authentic friends. Now, as Noah reviewed the directions for this component of his application, he decided to jump the gun a little bit. He knew he could hammer out the basics of his autobiography in pretty short order. He felt like, in this moment, he had a fresh burst of enthusiasm, and he didn't want to waste it on the more rote sections. Noah wanted to skip ahead to describing where he was in that moment. I'm going to type it, Noah decided. I'm going to type it and proofread it and then write out a copy by hand. Noah thought back to the harder classes toward the end of high school and many of his lecture and seminar-style courses in college. Listening to the teacher or professor and his classmates talk would stir up thoughts and reactions, but it was taking active notes, transcribing the bullet points and analysis and big takeaways that helped Noah process everything such that he would more fully retain it. For that reason, he decided that after drafting and editing his autobiography, he would then copy it by hand to try to really own the moment. He opened a new document and beheld the plain white page and blinking black cursor. His eyes widened as his brow bounced. Noah curled his lips and shot out a sharp exhale, and then in he dove. He hammered out a draft in one long burst, then he reviewed it and made some tweaks. Finally, he reread the draft to himself in full. I would by no means say that I am an expert, really at anything. Not at faith or belief or religion, not at social life or relationships, not even really at sociology or insurance. But I would say that I've gotten reasonably good at prayer and discernment, and I have learned how to invite God into that, go where God's grace is taking me, and strive to process earnestly to gain clarity. I've reached a point that I think I would sum up in this way. Over time, I've developed a bunch of different interests, kind of a lot of interests, some more casual and some more serious. Over time, I've discovered some gifts and talents, kind of a lot of gifts and talents, some more mild and more profound, Over time, I've established that I have the capacity to do certain things, kind of a lot of things. So what does one do with all that? What do I do with all that? I have to identify my desires and the places and things to which I'm drawn, and I have to choose a way to respond to God's ongoing invitations. Let me explain. In college, I studied sociology, not necessarily out of deep vocational longing, but out of convenience, a doable course of study with lots of choices for what to take. I have an authentic interest in how people, relationships, and society work. I have a gift for reading and understanding social science studies. I have a capacity for discussing and analyzing all of it. 
but I didn't have an inner desire to pursue a career in social work or something related, and I didn't find myself drawn to any particular career or grad program. I also found political science to be fascinating. I took a few classes in poli-sci, and I found a strong interest in the subject. I also found myself reading and following politics intensely, nourishing a desire to understand politics and inform my positions on things. But I only had a capacity to follow and analyze, not a capacity to become significantly active in volunteer or professional work or to consider running for office. It was some capacity I definitely had, but only on a limited scale. My desires only added up to intellectual interest and the desire to better understand politics as a means toward justice. And no opportunity drew me into political action either. When I got into full-time work, I sort of happened into an insurance company. I found over a few years of work that I certainly have a capacity for sales or claims adjusting, but at best, I have a mild talent, a moderate intellectual interest, and little, if any, desire. There is the draw of stability and solid compensation, but the appeal of that has waned more and more over time. But when it comes to service, the calculus changes. From college to my service year to my re-engagement with service more recently, I found it's all there. When it comes to taking part in charity, to encountering someone in accompaniment, even just for a moment, to being a small part of greater justice, I certainly have the capacity, but what's more, I'm interested. I'm desiring to do it. I am drawn to do it, particularly when I put my head down and do the work that's needed. I find the self-emptying that my spirit needs and feel like the excuses and distractions and selfishness that often orbit my heart are propelled away. It all makes me think and act more purely. I think the people I've served get the best parts of me and I feel most balanced. This has been true also in my bits of experience in ministry, including those I saw in prayer. I feel able, interested, gifted, and drawn, and I want to do it and do it well. It's been revelatory to realize the many capacities I have. God has gifted me, and all of us, with multi-potentiality. All of our talents and passions make us able to do many things, and potentially do many of them very well. Yet there's only 24 hours in a day, 7 days in a week, and we have to decide how we dedicate ourselves and our time and talents, and to whom we give of ourselves. Building on the bits of life experience I've had, these prayer experiences drew out things that were already in my heart and immersed me in their potential. In some cases, I saw how the person I am made to be could live out various vocational paths, or struggle to live them out. And I saw how I could find various levels of success, effectiveness, and fulfillment in each. Now, having gained a better sense of my interests, my talents, and my capacities, I have to take the next step. Looking within, I need to clarify my desires. Looking around and without, I need to identify where I may be drawn. With this new prayerful understanding, I don't want to simply end up somewhere out of convenience or chance or availability. I want to build on my found interests and gifts and follow a passion to a place where I am drawn, where I can more completely become who God made me to be. That's how I got to this moment, to writing this autobiography. I believe after tons of prayer and conversation and thinking that the novitiate with this Cistercian community is the next part of this. This is the ideal opportunity to carry out my identified interests, my discovered gifts, and my established capacity for a life of prayer and faith. And from there, to discern whether or not I am drawn to this life, to discover whether or not I have a clear and lively desire to fully enter religious life, and to learn whether or not this community, which will also be discerning its reception of me, is drawing me in. With gratitude to God, to Father Ambrose and Father Chrysogonus, 
and to the Cistercian community for all you've given me, and may yet give me still. I'm humbled to ask your consideration for the novitiate. Noah sat back from his computer. If typing and editing the draft of that section was a sprint, now it was time for a cool-down lap. Noah hissed out an exhale and shot up from the couch. He had fittingly gotten his hands on a six-pack of Trappist beer earlier in the week. He proceeded to grab one from the fridge and crack it open. Noah raised the bottle to shoulder height, a toast to the collective of support people whose help he enjoyed, none of whom were there with him. He clinked the bottle's bottom against his counter before taking a delicious first sip. He returned to the couch and sat in front of his open computer and piles of application papers. At Cistercian Academy, Noah had the unique distinction of being followed by one teacher year after year to graduation. Now he found that walk continued from the high school to this great beyond. Father C was a source of challenge, of support, of accompaniment. He was a constant as so much changed in those formative years. He was a voice of theology and spirituality, a voice that teacher had hoped would echo in students' minds and hearts for years to come. And now for Noah, Father C was vocation director and application navigator as Noah discerned that he would attempt Cistercian religious life. As a single man, and now intentionally celibate and single for a few months, Noah wasn't convinced of an unmarried state of life. He had frustratingly realized his shortcomings in romantic relationship only in its demise, and was now more fully understanding how to be more vulnerable, more inclusive, more sensitive. Noah wasn't sure what that would mean ultimately, but he knew he had a sense of the single life. He knew he had plentiful, if sort of default, wonderings of marriage and family. And he knew he was feeling drawn to explore religious life with fresh curiosity and stronger, more mature foundations upon which to build. Noah believed that God gave him plentiful talents and capacities. It was only now, at this somewhat late but relatively early point in his life, that Noah realized how he had been snoozing God's invitations. He was ready to transition from thinking about what he could do to moving to act upon what he desired to do. And he hoped the grace of clarity wouldn't stop flowing now. Grace had found him where he was, but Grace hadn't left Noah where it had found him. Thankfully, Noah also believed that vocation wasn't a single train at a single station with a single route. Noah had come to find that his vocation awaited on the right train, at the right station, headed on the right route. He still wasn't sure he had all the details right, but he had identified talents and interests that expanded upon simple capacities, and he had felt the inklings of desire and draw that had suggested this particular path might yet yield more. Noah had found gratitude and diligence. He was discerning not from scarcity, but from abundance. Noah was seeking not what he wasn't called to do, but rather what he believed God was inviting him to seek. God was offering Noah invitations. Noah had made the choice and taken the action to become well-equipped to listen to God, to quietly and prayerfully work through these graces, and to respond. Noah was seeking out, and perhaps, finally, more fully than ever, living his vocation. At the end of this final chapter, I simply want to offer a word of thanks. Writing is such a joy for me. I really enjoy, especially, the times when I'm able to come to some kind of reflection or realization in my own prayer and find a way to share it with others, whether on my blog, whether in these books that I've written, or in ministry and conversation, because my hope is that what I'm finding in my prayer and my relationships and my conversations 
if I share it, can find resonance in what's in other people's hearts and minds, and that it can help us all grow to deeper spirituality and a stronger, deeper, fuller relationship with God, that we can identify things that are capacities within us, but then what's more, find things that are desires and things to which we are drawn and find that place where our gifts and talents and passion meet the deep needs of the world around us. So for everyone who read or listened, thank you so much. I hope that something that you found here resonated with something in your heart and can help you deepen your discernment and find greater expression of your vocation and what God is inviting you to do with your life and your love every day. I also invite you to share what you found here, whether it means passing on a paperback, handing someone a physical copy of the book, pointing someone to the link tree where you can find the free eBooks and links to this podcast, or even just having a conversation about what your vocation and your discernment have been like to help connect others to those deep longings within their hearts too. There are times when it can be frustrating to write and wonder if anyone is reading or listening or paying attention. But whenever I start to feel like I might want to walk away or give up or quit writing, a new invitation to write another thing for another resource comes along. Another duty arrives at my job where I have a chance to express my faith and share it through writing. Or an affirmation comes out of the woodwork of someone who happened to come across something I wrote or recorded and found something resonating with them by listening or reading along. So thank you for reading. And if you're able to share what you found here with another person and bring resonance to their heart of faith and their spirituality, that's the greatest gift of all. Instrumentals for this podcast were improvised and performed by Jason Fant.